Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Good morning, church. Good to see you in church. And for any of the keen-eyed gold star students of Northside this morning, you would have uh, recognised that we had that Bible passage last week. And so that's not a mistake. I've known churches that have been through that Bible passage for six months. I'm not going to do that to you. Just for three weeks, we're going to talk about God's grace. The reason why we want to talk about God's grace is, like I said last week, call me naive, but at this time of year when we hear this message of Christmas and what it really means to us here at Northside, that God became a human and, and by his grace reconciled us to him, not out of anything that we need to do, but purely out of his efforts. Call me naive, but who wouldn't want Christianity to be true? The only religion in the world that I said that you've got to work out what you're going to do when you realise you don't have to do anything at all. Why wouldn't you want that to be true? And in the early days, we'd heard that people did want that to be true and Christianity exploded right through the countryside when they came to understand this message of God's grace. People found Christianity attractive, attractive not in the sense of uh, the sorts of churches that people may see today or the types of Christianity that, that they see today. People came to Jesus uh, because they saw a pure, grace-filled type of religion and it was attractive to them. Uh, and the one thing that we all had in common really is this grace from God. Now, uh, Christianity exploded because it was attractive, but then you, we this week, I guess, we've got to deal with the reality. And isn't it amazing how, for me, I, I often stumble into a life example of a, a sermon illustration I can use right for the passage that I'm going to preach on that particular week. I mean, I, I think it's called confirmation bias on one hand or the other. The other hand, it could be God's grace giving me the stuff that I need to talk through. But ironically, ironically, I, I had a chat with the guy that makes my coffee at the local cafe, Pete. I know that he's a Christian guy. We've sort of worked that out. He knows that I'm a pastor. Uh, but Pete hasn't been to church for like three or four years. And so we got chatting uh, as he was making my coffee this week, and, and I said to him, oh, mate, how come you haven't been back to church? And he's like, well, I got really hurt by the church. I got really stung by some people that were really mean to me. And he said, I even tried to go back to that church, and I would just sit up the back in worship. But the problem was I would like look over all of these heads and these arms raised in worship, and I would think of all the horrible things that they'd said to me. And he said, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so he said, that's it. I, I, I haven't been back in, in like three years. And... and and Pete's, Pete's story highlights the problem that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is this, that how is it that the people of grace, the people of God's grace, end up, I'm sure it's not in this church, but end up being the most ungracious, <laughs> hurtful, spiteful, mean, stingy, anxious, angry people in the world. It, it's a bit incongruent, don't you think? Have you noticed that and experienced that? And my thesis this morning class is this. Well, the big idea of what I want to talk about this morning is this. Uh, if last week we talked about whether or not uh, we really get the sense that the grace is undeserved on our, our part this morning, I think the big problem for us is that we're like that. Churches are like that. Christians are like that because grace is not understood. We, we, we don't get it. Grace is sort of like a mansion. It's like a huge mansion that you just... You walk through and, and you discover a new room and a new hallway and a new part of it. It's, it's huge. We need to discover it every day. And grace is fundamental, uh, fundamental to Christianity. In fact, grace is Christianity. Can I put it that way? There's an amazing passage in First Colossians uh, where Paul says, The gospel has borne fruit in you since the first day that you understood the grace of God. 
So what he's saying is that the grace of God is just not a nice add-on of Christianity. The grace of God is Christianity. That in fact, the moment that you are converted, the conversion moment happens not through some super spiritual out-of-body experience. Paul is saying you become a Christian in that very moment that you truly in your heart of hearts understand the grace of God. So the question then is why doesn't it change us? Why are people still... Why are people... Why are Christians still Christians, <laughs> is the way that we could put it. Why doesn't it change us? Why doesn't it melt our hearts? Here's, here's, I think, the first reason. You don't get it because you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get the gift of grace because you don't get the gift of grace. In other words, because we don't understand fully the gift of God's grace, then we don't fully receive the gift of God's grace. Does that make sense? We don't. We don't, we don't get it, and so we don't get it, the, the, the gift of God's grace. And you've seen that. If, 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 if the, you are a person or you've, you've been seen a person that's been raised in the church and been part of church, and you're at that point where there's no power, there's no dynamism, there's no shift, there's no change in your life, then fundamentally what Paul is saying, it's because you're not getting the grace of God. You get it, but you don't get it. Does that make sense? Here's why. How do you define grace? Down here, verse 8. It says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's an underlying gift of God. It's a gift. It means you haven't earned it. You haven't done anything to receive it. You haven't worked for it. It's a gift. Grace is a gift. But then why don't we change if grace is a gift? We all know that it's a gift. I think the reason we don't change is there are lots of places and lots of contexts where you can receive a free gift and it doesn't change your life. There are lots of places where you get free gifts, things that you haven't paid for or earned and it doesn't change your life. And like, for example, have you guys ever been to like the Easter show or one of those corporate conferences where you go along and the marketing team is out and about in full force and they're shoving you those funny little bags and there's all these sorts of goodies inside the bag and invariably you open up the bag and there is like a notepad. There is a notepad in it and then there's a pen with their logo on it because everyone needs a new notepad and a pen, Right? Now, here's the question. Uh, is, is it a gift? Yes. Is it free? Yes. Does it change your life? No. And fundamentally, the, the reason it doesn't is because it's not indispensable and it's not costly. Like, we've all got pads at home. I don't even use pads anymore. I'm, I'm electric. I'm an iPad dude. Right? It's, so first of all, it doesn't change us because it's not indispensable. And the first part of understanding the grace of God is just understanding how indispensable this gift of God's grace was to us. And that's what Ephesians is getting across here in verse 1. We didn't read it out, but if you've got your Bibles with you, you can read verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And then it goes on to say, but you know, but, but God through Christ has, has made you alive in him. He's raised you into the heavenly realms. Uh, I think, I think we, mis, we misread this passage. You know, I think we come at it from the, wrong, from the wrong angle. I think we read this passage and we say, here's the everyday Christian paraphrase. You were moderately succeeding and leading a pretty good life. And that you perceived that if taken up, Christianity could be advantageous to your self-improvement. <laughs> Don't you reckon that's how most Christians read that passage? Right? No, it says that you were dead. 
You were dead to God. I think our biggest problem in receiving the grace of God is that we often boot our spiritual life, and this is why we don't get changed, we boot our spiritual life out of our sanctification, not our justification. Now, I just said that so you could go away thinking that I'm a very learned Bible preacher. Right? That's what we preachers do. We just say any of the shuns in church, salvation, sanctification. You think, wow, this guy knows his stuff. <laughs> here's, here's what I mean. I think most of us boot the spiritual change in life out of, out of what God is doing in our life, not what God has done. Hear the difference? Ephesians is all about, look at what God has done. You were, you were dead to him. Heard that phrase? When you don't like someone, you're dead to me? Not using it in that sense. He loves us. We were dead to him. We were dead to him. Sleeping beauty dead to him. And sleeping beauty's effectively dead, isn't she? Until Prince Charming comes in and kisses her awake. Right? She can't move. She can't talk. She can't receive the outside world. When we read John 1, in the, word, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. What it's saying is God came into the world and he kissed us awake like sleeping beauties. Even in our sinfulness, valued, treasured, precious, chased after. The, the gospel is we, we were spiritually dead to the things of God and through this act of sending Jesus into the world, he brings us alive again. And this is the point that I'm constantly trying to make to us. And I'll say it over and over again because, you know, most people don't write stuff down and so you have to hear something 13 times before you fully receive it if you don't write it down. So here's the... Uh, 11th, Jesus didn't come into the world to make nice people nicer. He came to make dead people alive. And so can I suggest to you that maybe part of the reason that that you and I, when we have these moments that we don't experience the grace of God in our lives is is because we're, we're treating our Christianity like a conference kit bag. We think, oh, you know, oh, look, I'll take Christianity up. Wow. You know, someone evangelizes to a gift. Here, have this gift of God's grace. Wow, this is great. Like, you get community with this. And if you're lucky, like, music's really good. And it's the songs that you actually like. And then you have some friends. You have the rest of it. That's not what Christianity is about. It's about making dead people alive. I think fundamentally, we, we come at our Christianity from a point of just trying to to get through life that little bit nicer. We don't understand the indispensability of God's grace. We treat it like a kit bag. But then on the other hand, let me think about the gift of God's grace. Let's think about a gift on the other hand. What if, what if you received a gift? What if you're in an African country and you're dying of cancer? And a doctor comes in from Doctors Without Borders and says, you know what, we can see that you've got cancer, but it's fixable. That's the great news. Bad news is that it's, it's going to cost $50,000 plus an airfare to do, do an operation. But the good news is someone sponsored you and we're going to fly you across to the sand hospital and you're going to have that operation. You'll get well, we'll heal you up and you can be back with your family. Is that a gift? Is it free? Yes. Is it, is it indispensable? Is it, is it absolutely precious? Yes, absolutely. Do you think that person lives life differently after receiving that gift? Are we treating our Christianity like a conference kit bag or an operation that saved our life? I have to constantly remind myself when I come back in, in, into all of this because here's, 
Here's the, the, the next thing, and, and before, before we go on, like I'm, fr- I'm front-loading a lot of this content, and I'll go to a couple of il- um, illustrations and applications that are they're really simple but very difficult to apply. But um, you'll be thrilled to know too, by the way, that um, I, fixed, I fixed my slice in golf this week, just as a bit of a side note. Yeah, it, is just, uh, it has been a miracle week. It has been awesome. Um, and I, fi- I fixed my slice. You know how I did it? You know what the answer was? It was about five degrees. In fact, it was about three degrees. And it was because uh, basically in my stance, I had my toe turned directly in that way. And when I flare my back foot slightly like that, it fixed my slice. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? You guys are just thrilled for me, I can tell. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I'll need a bit of grace from all those people that can't stand golf as well, for using an illustration like that. Uh, Why am I telling you that? the, The Bible is a lot like golf. The gospel is a lot like golf. I mean, if, if you are out by just one degree, and you see Paul do this all, all the time throughout the book of Galatians, if you are just out by one degree, it results in trajectories that, that are way off from where you want to go. And I, I realized when it comes to God's grace that, that there was an adjustment here that I needed to make in my own life and be absolutely clear on um, that has been causing a spiritual slice for the past couple of years. And, and here it is. You ready for it? The power to change in your life actually comes by grace, not by faith. The power to change in life comes by grace and not by faith. And getting the order of the relationship in this, this one degree shift is like adjusting your stance in golf. It's absolutely everything. Ephesians says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Underline that. By grace you have been saved through faith. If you're a Christian today, it's saying the whole reason that you are a Christian is primarily by grace is the material cause. Through faith is the secondary cause of all of this. Some of you are going, what the heck does this mean? Let me put it this way. Uh, There's a wonderful movie made in the 80s. You've heard me talk about it. It was called Back to the Future. And in Back to the Future, there's a scene there where Marty McFly repeats in every movie, one, two, three, my favourite scene, where Marty McFly always manages to hitch a ride on his skateboard um, by grabbing onto the back of a car. It's in all of the movies. It's, it's a central part of it all. Here, here's the point I'm trying to make. Um, imagine that you're riding a skateboard, which I know for some of you is going to take a lot of imagination. But imagine that you're riding a skateboard and you're, you're tired of pedalling through on your skateboard. And along comes a car at 10, 20 kilometres an hour. You've got your satchel on and everything. And you think, well, I'm going to hitch a ride. I'm going to pull the satchel off. I'm going to chuck the strap over the toe ball of the car and I'm going to allow it to start pulling me along. Okay, question class. Uh, what's doing all of the work in pushing you along at pulling you along at 10, 20 kilometres an hour? Is it the car or the strap? The car. Good. I'm glad you got that right. I was hoping it was pretty obvious. The car. (laughs) Grace is the car. Faith is the strap. This is critical to understand. This This is absolutely critical because you mix up this order and you get it wrong and everything goes haywire. You end up in a spiritual slice. You're in the rough, out the right-hand side of the fairway, straight away. <laughs> Grace is the main cause, and faith is the secondary cause of your Christianity. And, and here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, Grace is the one that drives everything forward. Faith is just a way to receive that grace of God. It's the strap that hooks onto the toe ball of grace, as, as it comes into your life, and it is the very thing that propels the change in your life. And if you mess it up, you know what happens if you mess this up? What happens is you get what I call post-conversion letdown. 
right? Because when you first become a Christian, normally you hear this, oh, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's attractive. You go, okay, I've been saved by grace, not by works, okay. I'm saved by grace and faith. I'm saved by faith. Yeah, it's my faith. It's my faith that I decided to put in God that makes me right with him. It's my faith that makes me right. And often your faith, when you're a new believer, it's a little bit like falling in love. Have you noticed that, Christians, when you first were converted? Like the feelings of God are warm and fuzzy. You know, reading your Bible is like a date night with Jesus, isn't it? It's like that. There's all these feelings of it's warm and fuzzy when you first become a Christian and then you live life long enough as a Christian and you realise that the emotional side of Christianity fades but the love for God, like any good marriage and relationship, grows stronger. Notice that? B-52s? Yeah. (laughs) What happens with post-conversion letdown is if you think it's your faith, what you've done, that sense of the feelings that make you right with God, what, what happens when inevitably life hits you and that faith starts to feel a little bit ragged and those feelings fade? You think, oh, I'm starting to doubt God now. God can't be working in my life anymore, you know, because I've got to have a big faith. I think in many ways too, it made me realise, I think I might have been preaching this wrong sometimes. We did a whole series, right, on how to get a big faith. But here's the point. It's not how big your faith is, it's the fact that it's attached to grace. And the good news for some of you this morning is you might feel like your, your satchel strap is tattered and hanging by a thread. Maybe some of you, maybe this was your, you think, this is it, Lord. This is the last time I'm turning up into a church. This is the last time I'm giving it a run because I don't even know if you're real. The whole point is, is it still attached? Is it still attached by a thread? Because if it is, you're still going just as fast as that do-quarter Christian that you're sitting next to that's making you feel guilty, that's got the snazziest looking strap in the world. (laughs) It's by grace that you've been saved. Not by faith. The faith is how you receive the grace of God in your life. Does this make sense? So we, we, we don't see the change in our life because we don't really get grace. grace is, are you getting the sense that grace is a lot bigger than we often think it is? It's a mansion. We've got to go through it. We don't get it because we don't see its indispensability. We come at church and we come at our Christianity and our spiritual life like a conference bag, not a life-saving operation. And then most importantly, we mix up the order and we think it's our faith that saves us, which, by the way, if you do that, guess what happened? You just turned your faith into a work. It's my faith. It's my reputation. It's my prayer. It's my attendance at church. Can you see what you've just done? You've just turned your faith into a work. You've just turned Christianity into religions of work. But it's the grace that saves us. So here's a question. How do I know if I get grace? How do I know if I'm understanding grace? How do I know if it's really sinking in? And I'll give you a cheeky answer to this, a cheeky litmus test. The way, if, you're, if you're the sort of person that's hearing all of this and saying, Sam, come on, like I've been to Sunday school. I know grace is unmerited favour. Uh, I've, I've done a couple of theological subjects. I've been doing Christianity for 30, 34 years. Uh, I get it. If that's you, then that's a sign that you don't get it. <laughs> because we'll see constantly, time and time again, grace like this mansion, that it is something that we have to constantly come back to. And so I'll give you a couple of litmus tests, though. Um, some quick ones. So you can tell whether or not you are understanding, truly understanding the grace of God. The, the first litmus test for you is this. If you're getting grace, if you're understanding grace, you'll feel a fight between your head and your heart. 
You'll feel, a, is there a fight between your head and your heart? In Colossians 1, Paul, and I'm paraphrasing, he says that the fruit in your life didn't start growing till you understood grace in all of its truth and you saw all of its ramifications and you saw all of its implications. Here's the, the quick point is, spiritually dead people don't fight with God. You've heard me say that. They're sleeping beauties. There's no fight from sleeping beauty. She's gentle. She's precious. She's dead. Oh, you've heard me say Christianity is a bar fight. There's a fight. Is, is there, when you, when you th- hear the word sin and you think about, as we said last week, our own guilt and shame and sense and condemnation in our lives, is there a fight? If there is, good. It means you're spiritually alive. That's not a condemnation. It means you're alive to God. Is there a fight? But is there a fight between your head and your heart? More importantly, is, is there a fight... Is there a fight against your own self-righteousness? And here's what I mean by this. I saw it in action the other week with my little girl, Adele. We were coming home from the shop, so I just took her and Zach out. And, uh, and Adele wanted a toy, and I didn't buy Adele a toy. And you know what happens when you don't buy a five-year-old a toy? All hell breaks loose. Right, So we got into the back of the car and it started with, you know, can I have a toy please, daddy? And then it begins to escalate. Notice this with five-year-olds, it begins to escalate. And then it turned into, I want a toy. And then it just turned into like the word, eh. It just turned into grunts. And when you try and pacify a child like that, you say, well, I could get you something else. And she's just going, eh. And and I'm like, well, darling, we can go to the park, we can play, we can do something else, eh. And she was working herself up into such a lather that... At one point, and I'm sure your parents have done this, at one point you're so tired of the noise, you actually offer them the very thing their heart's desiring. Okay, I'll give you a toy. At which point she just went, eh. And so you know it's escalated when you've reached a point um, that, that their own desire to want to be in control has ascended the very desire of their own heart that they wanted in the, to begin with, right? And so it just, it just descended into half an hour of eh, to which point without kids they had to go and sit on the stairs we don't call it the naughty corner, it's just the stairs. And she sat there and she's crying and she's sobbing and I want a toy and all the rest of it. And, and so I, I come up to her and, and the way that I solve this, and it's quite convicting to tell this story, but basically I, I parented her um, in the totally opposite way that I would pastor you. <laughs> you know what I'm about, I'm all about, look, it's not about behaviour modification, it's about inner change and understanding the, the glory of God from the inside out and that changes your behaviour. I did the exact opposite, you know, I, and I'm sure your parents don't do this, but I went up to her as she's screaming uh, on the, the naughty spot on the stairs there. I went up and I just said, stop it. Stop it now. That's enough. Stop it. To which point my domineering nature made her shake a little bit and it shook her out of it for just a second. And then she's, she's got the, the lower lip cries, you know, where they try not to cry. And she said... She said, uh, she said this to me, something along the lines of, okay, Daddy, but I, I can't get my heart to do what my brain thinks is true. Oh. I can't get my heart to do what my brain thinks is true. Ever felt that fight? Isn't that the Christian life? For it's been by grace that you've been saved. Stop the anxiety. Stop the gossiping. Stop the snarkiness. Stop the selfishness. Yeah, yeah but, but Sam, I, I can't get my heart to do what my brain thinks is true. That's a Christian life. 
like, like any, like any the, the fight that we truly have, the fight that we truly have in our own heart of hearts is to, is to fight that childish self-righteousness, which is present in a five-year-old and is carried right through to adulthood that says, I have to be the one that's in control. And in fact, there is always anti-grace. Like the opposite of, there's always, anti, there's always anti-grace in the presence of self-righteousness. Having things your way. I've heard someone say it before. You know, no one ever sins unless they really want to. That's because I want it my way. I want to do it. So you, you, you feel that fight. And you have to constantly be coming back and applying this Ephesians passage to your heart over and over again. It's by grace that I've been saved. It's by grace that I've been saved. What does that mean more practically? Not only do you, do you feel the fight, once you've felt the fight and you've wrestled with your own self-righteousness into a place where it no longer has ascendancy in your heart, then here's the second wonderful thing that happens and how you can tell that you understand grace. And it's this, you now play from a position of freedom. You now play from a position of freedom. And uh, just to show you what I mean, look, it's, I'll tell you the classic example of this you all would have seen. It was England versus South Africa in the Rugby World Cup, right? Rugby nuts? <laughs> if you're not a rugby nut, here, here was the deal. But England smashed the All Blacks in the semi-final. Like, I've never seen defence like that for 80 minutes, right, Joycey? It was phenomenal. It was incredible. Um, 80 minutes of, of pounding defence. They smashed the best team in the world. And so as a result, you know, England went into the Rugby World Cup as the clear favourites and all the tabloids back in England are saying that they're going to win and there's all this pressure that's happening. And, and so South Africa, on the other hand, when they went into the grand final, South Africa were the only team in Rugby World Cup history that lost a pool match and eventually made it through to the finals. And so you can imagine, you know, we've got all the, what's the England team like? They're feeling all the public back there. We're going to win. We're going to do it. All the pressure's on them. What were the South Africans like? Hey, they're just in the final. We're loving this. This is awesome. We love you already. You made the final. You didn't lose it. You made it out of the pool stage. Question, uh, how do they play differently? Who plays with more freedom? Who tightens up? And that's what we watched, right? England choked because they felt the pressure of having to live up and play to their self-made reputation. South Africa, on the other hand, had no reputation to live up to. In fact, South Africa played out of their own sense and love and acceptance from the South Africans back home. And so I simply ask you the question this morning is, how do you play the big game of life? Because if we allow our self-righteousness to get out of control, if it's my faith, my behaviour, my prayer life, my church attendance, all of the things that I think that I need to be doing in order to earn favour with God, then ultimately what we do is we go into the game with, with, with every burden upon us. And we tighten up. We don't play freely. There's anxiety, there's burden, there's religiosity. Does that make sense? Do you play from a position of freedom? A position where it's, God, you love me, I'll do my best, and I'll leave the rest to you. And so what I'll ask you this morning is, does your heart know? If part of the problem is that we don't truly understand grace, does your heart know what your head thinks is true? I know you Northsiders, I know that you get this. I know that you get it intellectually, but if your spiritual life is anything like mine, then the deep wrestle is how we apply this into our hearts. And the Bible is full. The Bible is full of really simple answers that are just very difficult to apply. And you, you try applying this into your life. You have to apply this on a daily basis, in order to allow 
your heart to feel what your head knows to be true. You know, the way that we do, the way that we do this as we finish this morning, by the way, is the same way that I solved it with Adele. You know, what does any parent do when you realise that you shouldn't have told her to stop it and you feel guilty now about your command of behaviour modification? <laughs> I just got my arm around her and I said, look, sweetie, do you just want to come watch some TV on Daddy's lap? Would that be all right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But like, what, what does Christmas mean to us as a church, you know, if you're listening in and watching in? Look, it's even in, in spite of our self-righteous spiritual tantrums, and we all have them. If I have them, I know you have them. Even in spite of our spiritual tantrums, God loves us anyway. And most importantly, the way that he demonstrates it, so as we look beyond Christmas and we look to Easter and we see that his son dies on the cross for us, it's, 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 way, it's, it's way more costly than an operation that happens in, in Africa somewhere. When, when we truly begin to take that reality, and this is where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in for each of us, whether you're a Christian or not this morning, when that reality is made true in the spiritual sense in our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's his job, right? Jesus said, he will take what is mine and he will make it known to you. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to take these words, this passage, and make it real to you, make it come alive. When that comes alive, then, then finally your heart shifts in alignment with what your brain thinks is true because I know that your brain truly thinks that this sort of stuff is true. But look, let me ask you simply this too. Do you know what it cost your God to love you? One preacher once said, unless I know how much it cost, I don't know whether to fall at his feet or shake his hand. <laughs> what did it cost your God to love you? And an even deeper issue is, is this whole thing, is your, is your spiritual life just an exercise in progressive niceness? <laughs> you were dead and we've been made alive. That's the reality of what we walk out in the crow's nest and the rest of our lives this morning. Niceness. In the beginning was the reason for life and the reason for life was with God and the reason for life was, was God and he became flesh and he dwelt amongst us. That is a lot of effort for God to make to come and just make himself available to you as a personal assistant. He doesn't want that. He wants to be Lord over your life for this reason. In this beautiful verse, in verse 10 of Ephesians, for we are God's handiwork, his poema, his poem, his artwork, his creation, his craft work. What it means for you this morning is that in every muck up, in every stuff up, in every business failure, in every failed relationship, in every wrong word to a friend that's gone unreconciled, and every piece of us that we're ashamed of, such is the power and the glory of God that he will take those things and he will twist them for his glorious purposes and for his ministry. Everything about you, your age, your ethnicity, who you are. Every, you've heard me say there are hands only you can hold. There are conversations only you can have. There are people only you can reach. In all of that stuff. So if this is a God who even in the worst parts of you and your failures can use it for his purposes and glory, then boy, oh boy, do we have a freedom to play from this morning. But only until we get it, right? Only until we get it. Only until we get it are we going to be the sort of people that can extend grace wonderfully and easily to others. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, it's this moment in desperation that I would ask
that your Holy Spirit now do his work and take what is yours, make it known to us, Lord Jesus. Make this more real to us. Make things that are of old come alive and new with wonder and joy in our hearts this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the table this morning, we're reminded, unless I know how much it costs, I don't know whether to shake his head or to fall at his feet. As we take the bread and the cup, it's an opportunity to see grace anew and afresh this morning and in partnership with the Holy Spirit, work it into our hearts. Only then, maybe, just maybe, would we become truly the people of grace that he intends us to be. Come eat and drink. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to be a member of this church to take communion. It's his gift and his invitation to you. And if you're the sort of person this morning that maybe is here and you're at, you're at the end of your tether, your faith strap is down to a thread, um, seek prayer this morning. Seek him. Rejoice. Know that uh, you're traveling just as fast as we are by his grace. But most importantly, uh, there's some of you this morning that are tired. You don't know Jesus yet. and You're, you're tired of the performance and you're tired of the anxiety and you're tired of the guilt and you're tired of the shame. Receive a love and an, an acceptance over you this morning that comes by grace through faith. And the reality is you've already got faith in something. You've got faith, you've got faith in the chair that you're sitting in this morning. <laughs> well, you, you don't have to conjure up anything other than to take that strap which you have tethered to your career or to your family or to whatever it might be and to hook it to the table of his grace through prayer this morning. You can become his. Tether it to him. Watch him do a work in you. At the least, stop, think, wonder. If there's any sense of fight, Wonder, questions, all of that. All of that's a sign of spiritual life. You're way more spiritually alive than you might think this morning if you're not following Jesus. So come, let's eat, drink, pray. See grace in you this morning. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au.